Hey friends, I'm Stuart Sutherland, co-founder of Heritage Missional Community. We are a growing network of microchurches centered around a coffee house and coffee roasting business in Shasta Lake, California. If you've ever thought there has to be more to this journey of following Jesus, then this is the right place for you. Thanks for joining me in a casual conversation about reclaiming authentic discipleship. Fill up your coffee cup, settle in, and here we go. Hey, and welcome back to episode eight, something I'm calling The Wilderness. And man, it was a wilderness experience. It was wandering like the Israelites, wondering when is this going to be over? Is there something else that could possibly go wrong? And oh yeah, it could. Man, sounds like a bummer, right? And especially coming on the heels of a season we would call the honeymoon that was idealistic, it was fun. And it was really something, I would say, launched us from not being anything. You know, it's, it's kind of the, the ex nihilo idea of something made out of nothing. There was a concept, there was a vision, and then there was a lot of hard work. And the Lord gathered people, and we saw a lot of results as far as uh, getting a building, we saw the result of gathering a team, and so many things like that started to take place. But I'd say um, as time wore on, we started to realize this came at a cost. And so even though we were idealistic and we were excited about things taking place, and yeah, we were engaging culture and we were making friends with the locals, uh, the, the the cost started to catch up. And when I think about the wilderness experience that we just walked into on the heels of, of things really taking off and having exciting momentum, I guess it was just not something we expected. It was out of the ordinary in the sense that the extraordinary, God showing up, was our normal. It was like every time we prayed for something, whether it be finances, whether it be help, the Lord would provide and it would show up. And now it was like, okay, it's time to do ministry. It's time to help people. It's time to, um, you know, maybe do some after-school tutoring. And it seemed like as soon as we stepped into that role, we kind of took the hat off of fundraiser. We took the hat off of building and construction and we started uh, engaging culture as being baristas and we thought, okay, we need help. So we got the help. And now it was time to put on the hat of we're going to minister to people. That's really when things started to get hard. It was the expecting the extraordinary, not just in what God had for us in this building part, but it was now expecting the extraordinary in other people's lives. And it exposed a lot in me. I think it exposed in me the expectations that I had. And I, you know, I can only guess that it would expose the expectations of the rest of our team as well. And we all thought that big things were going to happen. We all thought that, you know, because we built it, people would come. Because we built it, uh, you know, it's that, that field of dreams movie ideal where we build something and then people come to us. And it's kind of the way we, we thought that church planning was supposed to work. And I think that it worked that way for many years in our culture, but that wasn't working very well. We built it 
and people were coming to buy coffee, but then we would enter into relationships and saw that it was messy and saw that it wasn't really bearing the fruit that we had expectation for. And it got really hard. In fact, as we were wrestling with that, what, what's the next thing we can try or what's the next thing? We were very programmatically minded. Um, we tried after school tutoring. We launched this thing called Hub, which is a great idea. Um, but the challenge was connecting with the youth in our community. And they were just a tricky bunch. Um, a lot of them not trusting for good reason. Um, their ACE score, the Adverse Childhood Experience uh, score, which is a grading system that uh, the school district in our area is using. Most of the kids in our area scored really high, as in that's not good. They had experienced a lot of adverse childhood experiences. And because of that, their trust was really low. And so it made them hard to connect with. A lot of these kids were homeless in the sense they would sleep on a different couch every night. And why would they trust us when we were brand new? And I think this is where the reality of this is a long-term investment sank in a little bit, but I think it also was in contradiction to the expectation that things were going to happen. We were going to see things happen. And so as we were wrestling with that and in the middle of that, we had some really great breakthrough. Um, Sarah and I took our team through a kingdom ministry training, which is something uh, our mentor, Bill Randall, taught something we had been through a few times. And it was really a, a training that talked about spiritual formation. It talked about prayer with expectation. And we did a, a long teaching on it. I can't remember, probably eight weeks or so. And our team, just our community, God was showing up. We were seeing healing, just a lot of inner healing. We were seeing even the miraculous, aside from inner healing, but the miraculous and people being healed of uh, food allergies, people being healed of um, just a lot of trauma. And it just, it was exciting. We, we knew that God was moving and it, it felt good, but we also hoped for that to not happen inwardly, but for that to happen outwardly. And we just couldn't figure out, it was like we were missing a secret ingredient or we were missing that one thing, that key element that would help us. And so it turned into a lot of frustration and so what did we do? Well, we just kept trying things. You know, it was like, well, we'll experiment with one thing. And so Hub, which was uh, after school tutoring and connecting mentors to students and trying to coordinate things with local schools and things like that, that was one of the ways that took a lot of effort, uh, especially for folks on our team, leaders on our team. It took them a lot of effort without a lot of fruit. And that was discouraging. And honestly, it was... It was hard to watch. It was hard to, to see their discouragement and, and try to think, man, how do, I, how do I as a leader encourage them or how do I help? In a lot of ways, just feeling really helpless. And um, after all of this, you know, there was more. In uh, 2017, I lost my dad. I lost him to a, a long battle with a rare blood cancer. And that was a big loss. It was a huge loss. Um, there was even loss within that loss. And if you know much about grieving and losses, it's not just losing the person, but it's, it's losing, you know, all of the, all of the rhythms of life where you would normally hang out with them, the holidays. And I mean, even for me, a big loss within the loss with my dad was 
I was working in architecture, which was his dream job. And then as the Lord called me to the mission field, making that career move or making that vocational move was something that he just didn't get. And so the, the mourning, the grief that I felt was I never got to show my dad that this was the right thing for me. I was never, never able, able to prove myself to him and, and for him to see that. And so just wrestling with big, heavy things. And I remember sitting down with our leadership team and, and just being real with them saying, hey, guys, you know, this is a big loss. And honestly, I, I don't know what to expect. This is the, my first time through this. And so I just, I need you to, to know I'm going to do my best to be present. Um, if I'm a total jerk, if I go off the rails, call me on it. I just don't know what to expect. And I think they heard me, but again, I can't speak for them. But what I can, what I can surmise on my end of things, it just felt like they were accepting of that, but um, it really was a long haul. It really was, it probably took longer than they expected. It took longer than I expected to um, really feel um, like I'd walked through that, that grieving process well. I mean, my last job I came out of, I think we had, you know, two or three days of, of grief time, you know, paid time off for grief or loss. And I mean, if you've gone through that, you know, that's nowhere near what you need. It, it takes a long time. And so it was a, it was a hard time for me. I wasn't, you know, at full capacity. Uh, we were already wrestling with some discouragement, some, uh, unmet expectations on how the ministry was supposed to be going. And, you know, I wasn't there to be the super strong, encouraging leader. I mean, I was present, I was doing as much as I could do, but it was truncated. It was limited. And um, just hard. And it takes me back to that psalm, that passage in the 23rd Psalm, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And that's all I could hang on to was just knowing that, man, we're walking, we're walking in, the, in the wilderness, we as an I, Sarah with me, um, Natalie and Haley, just all of us being hit with this grief, but it was impacting more than us. It was impacting our team, our community. And um, it, it was hard. It was, I don't even know how else to unpack or describe that, but I knew that the Lord was there. I knew that he was with me. And so in that time, we took a team retreat, and this one was very memorable um, because when we were with our team, we were backpacking. That was just kind of what we did. We'd go out in the wilderness and have fun. And we were sitting around the campfire this one evening. And one of the guys on our team spoke up and just said, I just want to see things happen. I just want to see things, you know, like actually happen, like we're talking about. And when's that going to happen? And just being really honest and, and frustrated and I'm like, yeah, I, I want that too. You know, I really, I want to see things happen too. And we haven't, and, but I, I know that things will happen. And even though I said that, I could tell that that wasn't received very well. Um, and, I, and I didn't mean it in a, in a sarcastic way. I didn't mean it in a way like, you know, we'll just cover it with this one liner. Well, it will happen. I know it's not happening, but it's going to be okay, you know, and give them a pat on the back. But it, 
I really believe that. When I look back at that moment, I think that's where I, I recognize kind of a red flag, and that red flag was, I believe that, but I, I'm not confident that the rest of my team believe that. And so the year 2017 was was hard, and you know I think that kind of punctuated something that it, maybe as a more seasoned leader I, I may have picked up, maybe not, I don't know. It's, it's always easy to kind of look at things in hindsight. But we get to the year 2018, and this is where things really get interesting. Um, just celebrating, you know, it's it's the it's the anniversary of losing my dad. He died um, the day after my birthday, um, which <laughs> I I don't know how to describe how that that that's hard. And um, it's on the heels of that that I have a a, a meeting with our leaders and. We're sitting in this room, and I just remember this moment where one of the leaders in our team just starts writing a list on the board, and this wasn't on the agenda, and um, it was, it was, you know, these these phrases were being or our commitments were being written on the whiteboard, and all of the commitments we tried to, and and like I said earlier, we were really experimenting with a ton of things. We were we were spreading ourselves very thin. That's the reality of it. And so this person was just writing on the board the reality of all of those things that we had committed to. And I think in doing that, I didn't receive it well because it wasn't on the agenda. And it felt in a lot of ways like a, a very disrespective move, like they were trying to call me out, like something was being ganged up on me. And I didn't lose my temper, but I definitely shut that down super quick. And I just remember going, guys, this isn't okay. This is not, you know, we're here to talk about different things. We're not here to talk about this. If you want to talk to me about a problem you're having, talk to me personally, but don't bring this up in front of the group. You know, that was, that was my stance. That was my, and, you know, I think I handled it well. Um, Sarah was there. I mean, she thought I handled it well, but honestly, I don't know. You know, it's, I don't know how that was received and that's something I definitely don't have control over. But, um, even that evening, the person who called me out, I, I went to their house, I grabbed some beers and just said, Hey, I'm sorry if this, you know, if there's any way that I can, you know, apologize more, I just feel like this wasn't, you know, this wasn't a great meeting. This didn't go well. Um, how do we, how do we remedy this? And, um, again, that was a second red flag. I think, again, just losing the confidence of our team and their discouragement was becoming, I think, more clear when I look again in hindsight. And, and again, there, I wasn't fully there. I was on the heels of grief and I could, you know, maybe there's no excuse for it. Maybe I was just uh, inexperienced, maybe just ignorant of, of what I really needed to know. I don't know. Um, things I still kind of wrestle with and continue to unpack with the Lord and with some trusted friends. But what I do know is it wasn't good. We weren't a healthy team. And so I thought, okay, you know, Patrick Lincioni's five dysfunctions of a team, let's go through that together, you know, just trying to find ways to kind of open the lines of communication again, maybe some building blocks. What, what can we do to kind of rebuild, to repair? And the more, the more we went into that stuff, the more it became clear, like they're, they're checked out, they're going, they're leaving. 
you know, mentally just not present. And they were, they were a loyal team. They were a good team. They were good people. I mean, nothing against them. I think uh, just what we all didn't realize was how hard this was going to be. We didn't realize how, how much this was going to cost. We didn't count the cost. We just went in guns blazing, thinking it was going to be an incredible thing. And the reality was this was going to be the hardest thing that we've ever done. And so what happens next was interesting. Um, we as a family, Sarah and I and our girls, we were planning a family trip. Um, we had purchased a tent trailer and I did a bunch of work to fix it up. And we were going to go hang out in the national parks, Western national parks. And we were super, super excited. And as we were packing up, getting ready for vacation and, um, all of this, the car fire of 2018 breaks out. And if you're familiar with that, it was at the time a pretty historic fire. It was burning, started at Whiskeytown Lake in Northern California, worked its way into Redding and then continued north. And we in Shasta Lake, the whole city was evacuated. In fact, the story of our, what we call evacuation starts with this. And so we are, um, you know, in the middle of the car fire in city of Shasta Lake, there were talks and it was starting to, um, we were starting to hear that there was going to be an evacuation, that we were going to be evacuated, which was basically, um, the day before we were ready to leave. And so what we did was we packed everything up and I just remember Sarah and I having a discussion. She's like, you know what, let's just leave a day early. Like we're going to probably be evacuated. We'll have what we need. And so we're like, yeah, let's do it. So as we came to that conclusion, it was like perfect timing because the power went out in our house. Now it was already a hundred and you know, 10 degrees. It was super smoky, um, eight o'clock at night. And then the power went out. We didn't have air conditioning at the time. We still had a swamp cooler. So it was even pretty miserable when we had power, but we're at this point, we're definitely getting out of there. So we get our headlamps on, we finish packing. We get the tent trailer hooked up to the car and um, we decide to take both our cars. We had uh, two cars. So we had one car loaded with all the things we didn't want to lose in the fire. And then we had the other car towing the tent trailer for our trip. And we got onto our road and then we waited. What had happened was the, you know, the night had come, the power went out. It was eerie. I mean, the sky was glowing orange and you could just feel the heat and the intensity. It was just like we were in a totally different system of weather. And um, basically the whole neighborhood, the whole area was evacuating at the same time. I-5 was locked up and our street was only about three miles from the on-ramp to I-5 and it took us three hours to get there. And by the time we got to the on-ramp, we decided obviously to skip the on-ramp because I-5 was gridlocked. So we took back roads, um, got on the phone and contacted a friend who is east of town and well out of danger at that point. And so he let us stay there that night. And um, when we woke up the next morning, it was still eerie. Cars were cruising at high speeds down these back country roads, evacuating still. And we just decided we need to get out of here. 
And so we, we checked in with our team. We made sure people were safe. It seemed like folks were going to, you know, Sacramento to be with family. Other folks were, you know, finding places to be that were out of harm's way. And we're like, okay, let's just get out of here. There's, I mean, obviously the shop can't be open. The city's evacuated. You know, all of these things were taking place. So we're like, the best thing we could do is make the best out of it by not being here. We can go on our vacation we can enjoy it. And so, again, this is just coming out of a season of loss, out of frustration, out of a lot of hard work. And we were ready for this. I mean, we needed this time off. And so we're like, we're going, we're doing this. So we get back on the road first thing in the morning, and we still hadn't eaten. We didn't eat dinner the, the night before when we evacuated. We didn't eat breakfast that morning. We didn't have showers. We were just like, we had to get out. Let's just keep going. And um, so we ended up hanging out with some friends up in Shingletown, some long-term friends, our spiritual parents. And they blessed us with um, just with some food, with amazing breakfast, and we were able to leave our car that had all the valuable possessions in it at their place and then continue on our journey to vacation. And so we got back on the road with the tent trailer in the car, all four of us in the same vehicle, still no shower, but at least we ate. And we got on the road and we headed east and we were headed towards Nevada for our first night. And so we, we were cruising on the road and before we could even get out of the state of California, we see these spot fires on the side of the road and we see one. And so we pull over and we're like, man, we need to put this fire out. This is crazy. I mean, we're escaping fire and we're driving towards more fires and the wind's ripping. And so there's another car pulls over um, just a few hundred yards in front of us and we all run to the fire and we're trying to kick it out with our feet, but the wind's blowing so hard and it's so dry. This fire is just taking off, starts going up trees and we're trying to shake bottled water on it and stuff like that. And Pretty soon we realized this is a futile attempt. Um, we were out of cell phone range. We couldn't make a phone call. So um, we flagged some cars down who were driving and just asked them to make phone call down the road where they had service. And so we get back on the road and we're headed towards, you know, self-service ourselves just to make one more call to make sure they got the call about the fire. And what's crazy is we're seeing more and more spot fires along the highway. And I can't tell you if somebody just decided they wanted to set the world on fire and they started these fires. But as we were driving down the road, these other spot fires had other cars around them and people were putting them out crazy. And so we, we continued on. It seemed like the firefighters were on it and um, we got into the, the desert. We're driving on the desert. It's an extremely hot day, 116 degrees or so. And uh, I, I had put brand new tires on the tent trailer and one of them in the middle of the desert blows. And so we pull over, and this is, you know, the Nevada desert where people are driving 80 miles an hour, so it's a little scary changing a tire, but we had a spare trailer tire. And so I changed the spare tra uh, trailer tire, and then we get back on the road. Well, we drive about another 100 miles, and wouldn't you know it, we have another trailer tire blow. And at this point, we're so far remote um, in the desert, we're, we're about 50 miles between two towns. We're right in the middle. But what's really great is we're parked next to a cell tower. So we had great cell service. And uh, so here we are without a spare tire, sitting in the middle of the desert in the afternoon at 116 degrees. At least we had plenty of gas with the car running, the AC going. 
we had water and we had cell service. So we ended up calling uh, a tire repair service and by the grace of God, and this is after hours of dealing with the insurance company, no tow trucks come, all this stuff, but by the grace of God, we figure it out. This guy had the right size tire at his shop. He comes, he changes the tire, and at this point, the sun's down. We're pushing 9, 10 o'clock. And <laughs> we finally uh, get on the road and into our destina- the destination, the Double Dice RV Center in Nevada. And again, I mean, we had eaten one meal. We'd been snacking. We had water. We hadn't had showers in two days now. And we were just wiped. We're beat up. Um, our home could be burning down, and finally we uh, we pull into this RV park, and uh, it's not nice. It's not classy. It's basically a, a a bar, casino, trailer park thing with the bathrooms that are shared with the whole casino bar. So we get in. All I want was a shower, and I just like beeline it we get the tent trailer set up we beeline it into the into the bathrooms it's coin operated showers go figure and i put in my coins get my shower rocking and this is the moment of bliss at the double dice rv center and the coin operated shower i finally have a moment of peace i have this moment of like hot water running on my body it is like glorious And I get about, oh, I don't know, 90 seconds of glory, which is interrupted by a guy who kicks the door open into the bathroom, kicks a stall door open after that, and then pukes his guts out for, like, my whole shower. (laughs) It's just like, of course. All right, so shower's done. Anyway, we get that uh, first, well, yeah, first full night's sleep in. And we get back on the road, and we get to Idaho, and it seems like from that point forward, we're, we're still in smoke. We're still near fires, but there's way more peace. And I tell you that story just to go, man, we couldn't escape. It seemed like this was a year that was so hard, and we couldn't escape it if we tried. And in getting onto this trip and onto this vacation was really totally worth fighting for it because it seemed like we couldn't... It just... It was, it was like trying to take off, um, trying to take off overalls. I don't know. This is the best picture I can think of trying to take off overalls that were like too tight. And you're like trying to, you know, it's almost like dislocating your shoulder to pull everything off or it's like wet. And anyway, just really, we couldn't take off just all of the hard stuff. And we finally started moving into that. And man, what, what a crazy way to do that. And so we, we evacuated, and we would check in with our team from time to time, and the team was, um, you know, people were kind of all over the place, but a few of them, actually most of them felt really convicted, like, we want to go back. We want to serve city of Shasta Lake. And um, at this point, Sarah and I we were, and the girls, we were a couple thousand miles away, and um, so when we were talking to them, they said, we we're just going to go, we're going to open, we're going to serve the needs of the people in the community. And so even though while the city of Shasta Lake was officially um, evacuated, these guys went back in, served the community. They were helping people who, when the power went out, lost all their groceries. And they just put a word out on Facebook and the donations just came flooding in. And in fact, the city was pointing people to Heritage 
for relief um, from the car fire. So an amazing time, an amazing team, and a really epically hard, hard thing. And when we got back from our vacation, and, and before we got back, we would call in and check in, make sure everybody was okay, and they'd tell us, yeah, everything's fine. But there was a part of me, I knew things weren't okay. I knew that even though they were doing these amazing things, that there was still, I think, there was some just disappointment. It just felt like I could feel their disappointment. And I don't know if it was we didn't come back. I don't know if it was from all the from all the other things through the last year of, you know, expectations not being met for, you know, things, stuff just not happening like we all thought it would. And so when we got back, um, basically our team dissolved and they did it in, they did it in a way that was honoring. They did it in a way that was, I mean, however you can make that, that sort of thing feel good. It didn't feel good. It didn't feel good at all. It was hard, but we knew that they wanted to, they were done. They, they were used up. It was, it was a hard season for them and they, they can continue on. And, we, we've lost some friends to that. Um, the people that we led were also people that we lived closely with, the people we love, we still love, and they couldn't do it anymore. They had to go. And that was really hard. In the month of, months of September and October of 2018, um, pretty much everyone was gone. Um, By the month of October, um, I think there are about six of us left, and I mean that's inclu- that's including my family of four. <laughs> um, that was a moment where we just stopped and wondered, "Are we done? Is it over?" You know, um, we had gone through this exciting journey, and then kept trying new things and different things, and ran into a lot of barriers, ran into a lot of things that didn't work and experienced a lot of hardship and experienced the mess of, of being friends with the people um, that we lead, like running together in ministry and, and integrating all that together. And, and now it was just gone. And do I regret things? Do I regret what happens? I regret that we somehow lost the respect and trust of our team. I regret that um, there are things that I probably could have done better, um, but I don't know what they are. And so it's it's kind of a, a regret in limbo, I guess. I just don't know. I don't know what to, you know, we pray for our friends. We love them. We want to honor them. And, and honestly, sharing this, I just want to do it in a way that honors them. And what we're doing here in, in Shasta Lake's hard. And the enemy has had territory here for as long as we know. And to fight against that really, was it's, it's, it's a battle. It's a hard battle, and it, it, it comes at a cost. And not to say that makes up for, for how our friends have felt, how our team felt, but um, yeah. So what do we do? 
And uh, I ended up going on a backpacking trip with some friends. We do an annual backpacking trip. It's really an amazing time. I don't have to be a dad, a husband, a leader. I just get to be a, a friend, get to be a big goofball, hike around and, you know, do some dangerous things with friends and to enjoy the beauty of God's creation and the quiet and the simplicity of hiking, eating, and sleeping. And um, this trip was special because, well, man, did I need it. But also, um, I just, the last story I'm going to share is really just a huge impact. How's it, it, it continues to have a huge impact on me. And I was walking in the woods. We were hiking um, from a camp that we had stayed the night before. And we hiked um, up and over this ridge and on kind of the downhill. It was, you know, it was October. It was fall color, beautiful. It was getting nice and crisp and cool, some ice in certain places. And I was just admiring the beauty of, of the place that we were in, and, but also just broken just like ready to quit everything that we were doing in Shasta Lake and then, you know, imagining where do I go from here and, and trying to figure all that stuff out. And I just, I just remember crying and I'm in the, I'm in the back of the group, you know, the group of guys, I'm in the back just bawling my eyes out and just saying, Lord, like Jesus, I need you to show up. Like I need you to show up right now because I don't know what to do. I, I just, I don't know how to continue. I don't know how, I, yeah. And as I was hiking, Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up in a way that I could see a presence. I don't, it wasn't super crystal clear, but it was like, I knew it was the presence of Jesus. And he was like hiking next to me. And all I could do is just kind of enjoy that, enjoy that Jesus was there with me hiking. And as I was hiking, he, I could feel that presence of Jesus just get really close, like to, to whisper something into my ear. And he says, I'm proud of you. I lost it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel proud, but he was proud of me. And like I shared, my dad didn't get what I did. I didn't feel like, uh, I don't, I didn't feel like my dad left this earth being a father who's proud of me, but Jesus was proud of me. And so I just was there bawling my ass out even more. And, um, as I continued hiking, another quarter mile or so goes by, and I could feel the presence of Jesus kind of getting behind me. And I was just wondering, where, where are you going, Lord? And he calls out to me, Stuart. And I hike a little bit more, and he's like, Stuart. And I, and I, I look literally behind me, and I said, what? And he points his finger at me, and he says, I've called you, and I've called you by name. Well, more crying, more bawling. Oh my gosh. And at that moment, Jesus was just recalling me 
to what he originally called me to. I knew what it meant. And so I'm hiking another quarter mile and, and Jesus comes close again one more time and he whispers into my ear and he says, it's coming. And in that moment, the presence of Jesus just vanished. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what does that mean? It's coming. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you are with me. And Jesus walked with me through an exceptionally, it seemed like, an exceptionally long, hard season. And then he showed up. He told me he was proud of me, despite the mess everything seemed to be, despite what seemed like an epic failure. He reminded me that he called me by name. And finally, he, he promised me something for the future, something, something of hope. And so that's where I'm going to end today. In the next episode, I'm going to share what happens next. So thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you, talk at you, see you, not see you, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, next time. Thanks for joining in today, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment if you enjoyed this episode. You can check out our ministry at heritagecoffeehouse.org. And remember, we all play a vital role in God's plan for redemption. So what's the Father saying to you, and what are you going to do about it?